and welcome to my podcast. My name is Erin Chili, and today we will be talking to a giant in restoration, Dr. Anna Maria Frankich. My name is Anna Maria Frankich. I am a founding director of the Green Harvest Project. That is a project that is at UMass Boston, started in Boston Harbor, but it's also in Zadar, at the University of Zadar in Croatia and also the biomimicry living labs. We founded that in order to address restoration and improvement of ecological services and conditions in urban areas where we are suffering the most and where we are all now trying to adapt to future changes and changes today in not just climate changes, but also storms and water quality and the quality of life in urban settings are not still uh, very good, and we are not adapting in a good way. So my education is in biology. That was my first degree in undergraduate. I always wanted to be a marine biologist. And then I did my master's in limnology, which is a freshwater ecology. And then and I worked years in a national park in Plipitsa Lakes in Croatia in a freshwater systems, and then I did my PhD in marine science at the Virginia Institute of Marine Science. It sounds like you have a very wide range of expertise. Yes, I think that that is something that I wanted to in order to understand the holistic approach in understanding the systems. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when we become an expert, and that's where this whole type of education is actually pushing us to become an expert in a small field, and sometimes we don't see the forest from the trees. That's why I feel like there is a lot of damage done in ecosystems and in environment because we don't really understand the whole system approach and how the base of restoration is to understand how the systems actually communicate, how the species and the systems communicate. That's how they thrive. As a biologist, we were all educated that and, and learned that it's all based on competition. And I would totally disagree with that. There is more communication and collaboration and symbiosis and mutualism in environment than we ever thought. And that's why we don't have few species and biological diversity is rich because the systems collaborate and thrive together. And we know that from coral reefs to coastal systems to salt marshes, wetlands and tropical rainforests, how systems thrive only if they work together. And we know when we are trying to recreate the systems and try to cut the forest, do some monocultures and support certain species of trees or certain species of fish and shellfish, it doesn't work that way. My belief is that you cannot restore, let's say, eelgrass beds if you don't understand the communication of the systems in the intertidal areas between salt marshes, that is in estuaries or watersheds, how the system actually works is what native people and traditional knowledge has been telling us for thousands of years, that you have to understand the system from the top of the mountain to the coral reefs and to the open ocean. The system works together, that's the exchange water, energy and food nexus is continuous between the systems and the species are part of that system, the habitats are part of that system. And that's where my thriving of understanding how to better do restoration, that's why we were not very successful in restoring certain systems because they are not so functional if you just focus on one aspect.
Makes sense, doesn't it make sense? It makes a lot of sense. So you think that the environment and restoration would be better off if scientists and restoration practitioners had a more holistic approach? Do you think having a more comprehensive education helped you with this? Yes, it would sometimes be easier to advance in your professional expertise if you're focusing on one thing, but I really wanted to learn more about everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just something that I was never happy just learning about one species, although I really love oysters, and that's my number one topic of restoration because that species is the keystone species. It's been on this planet for between 350 million years and more, maybe 500 million years. We are learning more and more about our past and the past of the planet and how the life started and thrived and adapted and evolved. So if you think about having oyster reefs along every single continent, and now we lost 9% of those systems. Mm -hmm. I mean... Why do we think that the coastal systems are going to be healthy if we put piping and if we are trying to build uh, the coast with human infrastructure and not understanding that we are missing ecological services that were there for hundreds of millions of years? Right. And nobody even knows that we lost 90% of the oyster. So part of what you are trying to do with your living labs is to incorporate the natural back well, into the urban? you know, sometimes you don't have a space, you don't have areas where you can really restore systems how they used to be. Mm -hmm. But at least we can do it on a very small scale. Right. We have a capacity of knowledge. Humans are amazing in when, when they start working with nature. We can do an amazing job. And we also know that the green chemistry and biomimicry can actually help us restore our environment in a better way because we are not only thinking about humans right. and what humans need. We are also thinking about creating conditions conducive to life for all other species and mm -hmm. systems, not just us. And this is where we lost that interaction and connection uh, with nature. And that's why I love talking to native people and their wisdom and knowledge and traditional knowledge is coming more and more as an available source of understanding how we should not just do our research in science, because when you think about how we do science, it's, it's always trying to be objective. The scientists are supposed to just use the body and mind. This is how you are thinking. You cannot use emotions or spirit. Mm -hmm. There is nothing else. It has to be divided by that. But that's where our, I think, biggest problem is we are not connecting with the nature emotionally, spiritually, whatever that connection is, although we are, we love it, the species that we are studying, but we are not supposed to show. Right. That, that so love. that's part of the problem, too, is we aren't communicating how important our work actually is, so there's nothing really being done about what we're researching. Yes. So it was interesting. I was just now at the Pioneers Conference, and it was dedicated to, you know, restoration of our environmental health and nature, and also acknowledging the traditional knowledge in the First Nations. And so there were a lot of scientists that are also Native Americans, and they were actually proving something that signs that the forests communicate intensely through myceliums and rhizomorphs and the whole system of web below the surface in the soil. And that's exactly what the Native people were saying for thousands of years. This is how the story, how forest communicates. And you just cannot chop the trees thinking like you're going to do a better job uh, without understanding that they actually not just share the water nutrients, they also share the, the 
information about certain diseases and how to heal themselves. They're very smart, otherwise they wouldn't be there. Can you imagine how much all these species that were there for hundreds of millions of years adapted to changes? Now we, like, in this short period of time of our lives, now we know better. We <laughs> know so. a lot. I'm not thinking wrong. I think our technology and everything that we do is so amazing, but we need to bring back this humbleness and appreciation and respect for everything that is around us. Oh, Stop being egoistic. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I think biomimicry or biomimetic approach is very important because it respects everything, not just, it doesn't put humans on the top. Egoistic that we know now everything about salt marshes and we know how to restore them and we are constantly researching and still we don't understand that there is a system that works from the watershed from the top of the mountain to the coastal system and ocean that is in constant communication and we are constantly breaking up the communication with our infrastructure and then we think we can restore something when we block the water going through it and trying to put the water in the way how we want it to go through it and create some channels i think this is just something just tells you that we need to look back and say, okay, how can we do our jobs better? Because we don't live 500 years, and the salt marsh is fully functional in 500 years. And how can I prove in my lifetime that salt marshes should be restored together with the shellfish bed and eelgrass beds in a, in, a, in a transect and synchronicity that used to be there before? Otherwise, they're not going to be functioning. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, that our policies and regulations are fragmenting everything in our restoration, and they're actually limiting us to bring back this whole system approach that nature is trying to tell us, saying like, hello, I'm not functioning well. Right. <laughs> we forgot an important part of my body. We could, just, we could just use our body as an example. If you're under stress or something is going to be stressed and it impacts either your lungs or your kidneys or whichever part of the body and if you want to heal it you're just not focusing on one point you're trying to holistically heal yourself and become whole again and that's the problem with us that we even in human medicine we are not doing the whole system approach and that's why we need to learn from our ancestors nature around us to reconnect and really accomplish successful restoration project. If we can't heal ourselves, how can we heal anything else? So that's where I see a lot of, I'm seeing this scientific gap we need to fill in in order to improve restoration efforts. It's just like to become more humble and respectful. We have a lot of knowledge. We have amazing technology. We now can actually hear plants communicate. We can hear other animals communicate. And it's just something that we need to see it outside and start respecting that maybe those creatures uh, know more about us than we know about them. Especially marine mammals, when you think about that. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> so I think eco-literacy is something that was supposed to be part of our education in the 70s and somebody stopped it. What we are trying to do is uh, bio-literacy or biomimicry to become, to start remembering our connection with nature and that's what I see with all of my students with you and everybody you you get it you get it but how do we now change the form and the rulers and actually respond 
in our universities to the needs not about humans, you next generation, but also the environment. Mm -hmm. We basically, you know, you can't have a classroom full of dolphins or fish saying like, "How? What about me?" <laughs> but somebody should represent them. Mm -hmm. Nobody's really representing them right. in the right way. So this is something that needs to learn in our education system about ourselves first. I mean, how many people can point where their liver or or pancreas is? A lot of people don't even know. You know, and then if you can't understand your body and you don't know where you live, what's your watershed, any basic species around you, then we have a problem. Mm -hmm. So that's where the whole approach of having classrooms outside, we have kids outside, and we need to change that. Yeah. And everything will come much more natural to us. Mm -hmm. Some things in nature still people cannot even understand, because if uh, native people didn't have scientists and this technology, but they still listened to nature and were communicating and knew exactly which plant and what is for what, you know, what heals what. And they knew about El Nino and uh, all the communication with ocean. And there is something that we are missing. And that's a part, I'm not talking about religion or anything, it's just that really, really amazing connection with nature because we are part of it. And we need to start teaching kids just to sit there and be there and appreciate what's around you. That'd be wonderful. It would be, but that's called NDD, not ADD. You know, everybody's diagnosed with ADD, attention disorder, any types of attention disorders, and, and I, I basically tell my students that they have NDD, nature deficiency disorder. We are not enough in nature, and we would be more in nature, we would be much healthier. And I think nature would be also much healthier, because there is a connection. Okay? Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> Ciao. Okay, thank you for very much for listening to my podcast. And thank you to Dr. Anna Maria Frankich for talking to us. I hope everyone has a great day.